0: This is Polyoptics, shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar.
1: Thanks for joining us as we pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines, Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and it's only on POTUS, Politics of the United States. Today we're joined by Emmy award-winning documentary producer Peter Schnall. His latest work, George W. Bush, The 9-11 Interview, is an exclusive conversation with the 43rd president of the United States that explores every minute of the coordinated terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001 and the days that followed. And then we'll talk visual political communications with Howard Mortman. The communications director at c-span and one of the true innovators in washington politics but first i'm joined by josh king co-founder of the website polyoptics.com josh of course production chief in the clinton administration the same role i played in the george w bush white house josh it's great to have you here
2: it's great to be with you adam uh- As we speak here in Washington, New York, so much of the political establishment is headed out to Iowa, to Des Moines, to Ames. I know that a lot of the Sunday shows are going to be broadcasting from Iowa. There's the famous straw poll that happens once every four years. There's the Iowa State Fair, where the deep-fried butter and deep-fried Snickers are, are... for sale and ready to go.
1: For me, it's all about the butter cow.
2: Yeah, I was uh, I was there four years ago doing a, a story for Men's Vogue, and I'd love to be back there again because this is truly retail politics. And, you know, this is what happens when Congress adjourns and people hit the road for campaigning and vacations. And, you know, as they should. And there's a lot of uh, talk that uh, President Obama ought not to take his vacation. He ought to call congressional leaders back in the, in the shadow of the looming uh, redo of the financial crisis. But, uh, you know, Congress has to everyone needs to recharge their batteries, don't they?
1: They did. They do. And uh, it would be trite to just say that the Iowa State Fair and the straw poll and Ames will separate the men from the boys because it's easy enough to do that when you've got a woman running for president who's as formidable as Michelle Bachman. But all of this stands against a backdrop of the coming anniversary, 10 year anniversary, Josh, of 9-11.
2: That's right. You know, I've said many times on this show that uh, my office looks right over uh, what used to be Ground Zero and is now going to be the the shining example of uh, of American architecture uh, as it rises again uh, through all the the buildings that that are being put up in that site and the 9/11 Memorial uh, and the and the Center for Remembrance. Um, but as we're less than a month away, uh, one can't also uh, help, but notice all the activities that are being planned. Former President Bush, President Obama, coming back to Ground Zero for commemorations, and uh, certainly the beginning across the media uh, spectrum of of news organizations and shows planning their own uh, uh, remembrances of 9/11. You know, we we haven't had uh,
1: a great respite from people trying to characterize the happenings of 9-11-2001, the days that followed. President Obama continues to characterize the Bush administration and what he inherited. But from a purely historical perspective, there are a number of efforts underway to help people look back with some clarity that we we really couldn't achieve until now, Josh, uh, about what transpired in that time, specifically what the commander-in-chief did, what he felt, where he was, what was going on in his mind, and how that dovetails with uh, what transpired? Uh, it is one of the the most fascinating elements of this anniversary, and uh, we have a great insight into it on our show this week.
2: Peter Schnall uh, is a producer and executive producer of part of uh, Partisan Pictures, and. People probably don't know Peter Schnall's name, but they certainly know his work. If they, if their dials have turned over to uh, Discovery, to to uh, National Geographic Channel, uh, and to uh, a lot of places where his documentary work has been on TV, uh, he's the. The creative force behind uh, onboard Air Force One, inside the White House, onboard Marine One, CIA Confidential, Secret Service Files, and then going back, he was the guy who really was shoulder to shoulder with Bob Ballard for so many of those amazing TV shows that brought us face to face with the Titanic, the Bismarck, and all the underseas adventures that that Ballard uh, ran over the years. His experience
1: uh, with the White House and with the United States military has brought him in contact with you and with me during our career uh, in government. And uh, my eight-year-old Max would hate me if I didn't also mention that he won a Peabody Award for Silence of the Bees. Uh, but his work is prolific and well-rounded. And his new exclusive interview, George W. Bush, the 9-11 interview, is going to premiere at the end of August uh, on the National Geographic Channel. And we're really honored to have you here on Polyoptics, Peter.
3: Oh, Nice to be here. Thanks. We're
1: really excited to hear uh, what you have to say and to let people know in advance that this is must-see TV, that uh, when George W. Bush, the 9-11 interview, uh, actually airs at the end of August uh, on National Geographic, it's going to be at 10 o'clock in the evening, and whether you can see it you know, as it happens or set your DVR, uh, you've just got to give people an idea of what it means to hear from the former president, talking in a way and in such detail that he's never done before.
3: Well, you know, it was an extraordinary opportunity, and I have to say I was quite honored to be able to sit down with the former president for over four hours and journey deep into those days, those those horrific days that stretch between September 11th and September 15th of 2001. And, and as you said quite clearly, it is something that the president has not spoken about much in public. Um, and I think that I believe that he very much wanted to find a platform or a forum or a venue for which he could sit down and uh, without notes and, and without us having to actually even give him the questions beforehand, have a conversation. And that's basically what it came down to. It was a conversation between him and I about the events that unfolded and about what it meant to be the president of the United States and suddenly the, the commander of chief on that horrific day.
2: Peter, you and I were talking about before we uh, went on the air about how this president, uh, George W. Bush, has lived a life very private over the last two years since he left office, um, that he's commented publicly only on rare occasions. And certainly to be able to uh, get through the the, facade, the barriers that an ex president puts up they they obviously go and give a lot of speeches Uh, it's how they earn their income but there are there are many ground rules around them that there's no press how does Peter Schnall with such an extensive filmography as you have finally get the permission to travel down with your crew from New York to Dallas on May 1st uh, and get ready to shoot this documentary
3: you know Josh I think it was the manner in which we presented the idea of how we would produce this show we We made it very clear to the president and his staff that he would be the only voice in the film, that this would be his personal recollections of those days. There would be no other interviews, there'd be no point-counterpoint, and actually it turns out that there actually is no narration in the film at all. So when the president speaks, that's what you hear, nothing else. We do intercut, as you mentioned, with events of that day, stock footage, and rare White House video and photos never seen before. But, but I do feel that, that what he wanted to be able to do was to speak openly and personally about the events and how it affected him. The 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 photo that you use early on in the show is one that we've seen a lot
2: of uh, Dick Cheney, Condi Rice, uh, Karen Hughes in the PEOC, the Presidential Emergency Operations Center. And that was the photo that was released uh, either on 9-11 or close uh, li- right thereafter to show that the apparatus of government was still operating. But what you show is the holding room in the Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, Florida, a series of fast shooting uh, White House photos stills, which almost animate the story that President Bush is telling. Can you tell us how you decided to edit this all together in that way?
3: One of the things that we first discussed with the President Bush's office was would we be able to have access to the White House stills? After President Lee's office, the stills and the videos, they all go to the presidential library. And right now, they're all sitting in a box somewhere, and they're not available to the public or to the press. Because of the nature of the film and because of their interest in, in making it a little more behind the scenes and personable, we were able to get quite a few stills uh, in sequential order of the events that unfolded sort of behind the scenes as you can imagine there was not once the president left the stage with the kids and once the president sort of moves away from the white house pool there there is no video that's right but there is a white house photographer that follows him everywhere and that photographer was with him throughout the day both behind the scenes at the elementary school on the plane and again in the white house
1: you know peter i having served as the deputy communications director in the Bush White House for the last two years, uh, did a lot of work uh, trying to nail down for historical record uh, a lot of what happened in the early days of the presidency. And we ourselves did some interviews with the president, none of which uh, afforded us, I think, the kind of introspection and candor that you were able to capture. But I often think to myself, Uh, about those moments that you're describing and that you depict in this film because I had a chance to see those photographs. And the sequential order of them, the progression of the day is so powerful. It's something that most people have never seen. And now that I've seen it years ago now, uh, looking back on it, I realize this is something that has colored my view of it. And now that you brought it forward into light uh, for everybody to see, it's, I think just going to be one of the things that really makes the historical record come to life in a way that it has never done before and to hear the president and the first person talking about in a near timeline recollection this narrative of his day and his thoughts incredibly powerful did you expect to get this kind of response from him when you spoke were his thoughts even more clear than you thought they might be
3: it's interesting, we weren't really sure what kind of interview we would get from the President. I do have to say that I've had a interesting journey with former President Bush in that I've flown with him several times on Air Force One. And the last time I flew with him, uh, we decided that what we wanted to do was sort of look at some of the events on the plane that really affected history and presidential travel and journeys. And of course, one of them was the events that unfolded on. Uh, September 11th. So during that flight, I actually had a chance to sit down with the president and ask him what was going on on the plane. What was his feelings? What what was he dealing with on the plane while he was flying across America, the only plane flying across America at any particular time? And as you know, Adams, it's not often that when you sit down with the president, the, uh, the assistants say, you know, you've got 10 minutes to sit down and chat with the president. Well, 30 minutes later we were still chatting. And afterwards, the uh, some of the staff folks came up to us and said, "You know, we've never heard the president speak so openly and so personal about something." And that something was the events of September 11th and how they had personally affected him.
2: When I saw Peter right before our show, I I congratulated him on what I felt and truly feel is the creation of a historical document. Mm. And what what Peter has done with the decision that he made to shoot President Bush in a purely black background with two cameras, uh, intercut with all this footage that we've talked about, creates this narrative that you that only today's documentary technology allows you to create. So it is a new form to me of documenting a specific event uh, and probably be copied many times. I I I think that. There's words coming out of former President Bush's mouth that I think you can he could only utter to a documentarian after the fact.
4: I, uh, I made the decisions as best I could in the fog of war. But I was determined. Determined to protect the country. And I was determined to find out who did it and go get them. I was experiencing the fog of war. We didn't know if there were other planes that had
2: been hijacked. I was experiencing the fog of war. And that's not the kind of thing a president will say contemporaneously, is it, Pierre?
3: No. And he said that several times. And I I think because he felt so much that what was unfolding so rapidly and and coming at them so um, from so many different directions during those early hours of 9-11, they really didn't know what was going on. They really didn't know where... Were there more planes out there that were about to, you know, attack He was them? desperate
2: to get back to Washington, wasn't he?
3: He was very desperate to get back to Washington, and he speaks about that quite a bit. And he, um, from the Secret Service point of view and certainly from the um, concerns about getting back to Washington, which had been attacked, there was no way they were going to let the president go back to the city. He,
2: he talks about Andy Card, who is the chief of staff, and Eddie Marenzel, who is his detail leader of the U.S. Secret Service, who basically overruled him in the plane didn't they
3: yes and again what he says in the interview says excuse me I'm the president of the United States I'm telling you we're going back to Washington they said no sir you're not I wasn't happy about it
4: and I told him I said we're going to Washington and then uh, they held their ground because they felt it would be irresponsible for me to head back into uh, a city that had just been attacked when in fact we didn't know what else might come
1: it's important to remember, as, as the the historical facts show, that the president did make it back and that his instincts were very strong and, I think, proved correct in a number of ways. And I recall uh, something the president uh, speaks about with regard to where he slept that night, Peter, um, and the controversy over whether he was going to be upstairs sleeping in his own bed or downstairs in the PEOC, Um share some of the insight into the personal elements for the family and and, and Laura Bush that he talked about.
3: The president talked about in the very early morning hours of September 11th, while they were flying over the United States, at that point, not really sure where they might or might not land. Eventually, they would go to several Air Force bases. When he had a moment, he wanted to find out where where the first lady was and, of course, where his daughters were. And the communication on the plane, between the, the plane and, and the ground, was not great. Everybody was on their cell phone. Nobody were necessarily at the landlines. It took a while to find her. She was in a secure
4: location, and uh, it was awesome to hear her comforting voice. And she had talked to the girls, and they were secure, so I was, that was a relief for me.
3: He also tells us a funny story, which unfortunately didn't make it into the film, where he He then tries to track down his mother and father, former president as well. They did track him down. Uh, I believe they were somewhere in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, somewhere. Uh, They weren't. And uh, he said to his parents, uh, well, what are you doing there? And his mother got on the phone and said, well, sir, (laughs) you actually grounded us. Yeah, we were trying (laughs) to get
1: out of here, but we couldn't, son.
3: That's phenomenal. You are listening to uh, Peter Schnall with
1: us here on Polyoptics, uh, Sirius XM 124. Peter, a six-time uh, National Emmy Award and Peabody Award winner, uh, a filmmaker with uh, unique talents and also tremendous access earned, uh, born of his success in working with President George W. Bush and with the U.S. Air Force uh detailing and bringing Americans inside Air Force One, uh, and and many other great documentaries that you currently work on. Today we're talking about George W. Bush, the 9-11 interview. It is a seminal work that's going to be airing uh, at the end of this month to be seen around the world by millions and uh, premiering on August 28th at 10 p.m. on the National Geographic channel. One of the things that uh, I think is so fascinating in the historical perspective is something that you touched on already, Peter. The idea that the communications on board Air Force One, in fact, the communications infrastructure surrounding the president in general was not up to the challenge on 9-11. And this was something that I discovered on my own in talking to Deputy Chief of Staff uh, Joe Hagan, someone with whom you worked very closely, that the president was... Really upset and concerned that when push came to shove, the the infrastructure that was supposed to be so robust and redundant wasn't capable of handling the needs of the commander in chief. That changed very quickly after 9/11. Uh, they they made tremendous infrastructure changes. And by the time you joined uh, our trip to Africa in 2008, it was a completely different world from what the president had
3: experienced on that day in September. That's correct. Back in uh, 2001, they did not have any video uh, capability. They they could not Get any television transmission or communication. So that was one of the major frustrations for the president and the staff. Just monitoring what was going on on the ground, they right? Could not, they couldn't see what was going on on the ground. They had a, you know, they were flying, as they left airport, they would get a little bit of TV coverage and then it would disappear. So they had to rely on the, the Air Force, Air Force One did have a robust communications, uh, and still does, you know, system where they had immediate landline and the uh, telephone communication. But remember, now a lot of people down on the ground on September 11th are leaving their offices, are fleeing their buildings, and they're on their cell phones, and the whole cell phone system had pretty much collapsed. So the president, at many points, could not get in touch with some of his key staff folks who were back in Washington. Eventually that changed. You know, they were either in the PEOX or they were in other secure bunkers throughout the the Capitol. In the
2: program, Peter, the president talks about the moments that they were able to see well on the ground some of the hardest footage of the day uh, live footage of people falling out of buildings and he talks about that in vivid terms and you as the filmmaker and the editor have to make a decision about what are you gonna put into your production for posterity how did you deal with the balance of what he was actually saying and wanting to be his, wanting to historically relate to what he was seeing and the sensitivities around those issues.
3: We we wanted to be very sensitive to images that most of us have lived with for the past 10 years. As a New Yorker, many of us were witness to some of those events as well. We We were very careful about, for example, when the president was talking about actually seeing folks leap out of the the buildings, we did not show that, nor did we want to. Talking about closure,
2: and while you need to, we now have been living with this for 10 years and a need to move on, very interesting the date that you were actually able to talk to President Bush, isn't it?
3: We arrived in Dallas on May 1st, a Sunday night, and when we got out of the plane, suddenly a lot of the passengers on the plane were picking up uh, voicemail and or messages on their cell phone that... uh, They had heard that Osama bin Laden had been assassinated. Um, It was a very interesting and slightly surreal moment in that we were all now moving through the airport. And on all the video screens all across uh, the Dallas airport were images of newscasters and uh, events from uh, the White House. And at some point, the president actually came. uh, At one point, President Obama delivered a speech and we were standing there in the baggage area with everybody staring and standing and watching his speech. Um, our concern was perhaps that President Bush might then have to go on tour and talk to the news and talk to the press and we would lose our chance to interview him but actually it turned out to be the opposite. He did not speak to the press, he did not publicly talk about how he had heard about the events so, a day later, we sat down with President Bush, and um, actually, the first question I asked them was When did you hear and, how did, and what happened when you heard about the events and the assassination of bin Laden?
4: President Obama called me, told me that uh, Osama bin Laden had been killed. And my response was I congratulated him and the special operators that conducted a very dangerous mission. Good evening. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. And so I was grateful. I didn't feel any great sense of happiness uh, or jubilation. Uh, I felt a sense of closure, and I felt a sense of gratitude that justice had been done.
1: Peter, one of the things that really stood out for me, and one of the things that Josh and I have explored uh, with a number of folks here on Polyoptics, is what transpired when the president made his way to ground zero and what it appeared to him to look like from the sky, what he experienced on the ground and the people that he was with that day. A chilling recollection uh, in this documentary.
3: Because we journeyed with the president on a day by day, in some cases almost hour by hour, on the events that unfolded around 9 11 he was he was very specific in what he saw and what he was feeling so he talked about what it was like to head down to lower manhattan to actually see the site itself Uh, as you know once he flew into jfk he was then helicoptered over to the wall street uh, landing pad but before they did that they did fly around uh, ground Zero.
4: From the air, it looked it looked like a, a you know a giant scar. But when you when I actually got to the site, uh, it was like walking into hell.
3: For him, I think it was a a very powerful and very overwhelming moment. And those kind of thoughts and those kind of moments, I think, are are the kind of unusual feelings and and words that you don't often hear from a president and i think you know now ten years later when he's kind of looking back in the rearview mirror of his life and the events and this particular event was certainly a monumental event it changed his presidency just as it changed our lives
4: eventually september the 11th will be you know a date on the calendar it'd be like pearl harbor day for those of us who live through it um it'll be a day we'll never forget.
2: Peter, your filmography speaks for itself, and we'll put it up on the website at polyoptics.com. It includes things like Titanic Revealed, as we talked about earlier, on board Air Force One, uh, innumerable episodes of Nature, one of my favorite subjects, uh, The Revolution. Uh, But as you ventured down to Dallas on May 2nd, 3rd, and 4th to talk to former President Bush about a single issue... Did you think at all about uh, any of your predecessors who have sat down with presidents after their terms had expired, people like David Frost and his conversation with Richard Nixon and the responsibility that you had to document this for history?
3: It's funny. I thought about the Frost-Nixon show, which I have not yet seen, but I I meant to see before I went in. And, yes, I did feel that um, whatever former President Bush said in our interview would be viewed not only from a historical point of view but in some cases like from a factual point of view you know is this what the president really saw is this what he wants to say but you know my goal was to get him to speak with his words from his own thoughts from his own mind you know again I he did not have any notes we did not have to present the questions to the president before the interview Uh, So it was a very open and a very sort of conversational dialogue between the two of us. Clearly, everything that the president said, clearly anything that any president says is going to be looked at, revisited uh, from a historical as well as from a political point of view. And look, politics aside, you know, many of the things that President Bush did and said certainly after 9-11, are of great controversy, and he says so very much in the interview. He said, I knew what I was doing would be very controversial, but I did it. Graphic channel at
1: 10 p.m. Uh, your work, as as Josh says, speaks for itself, but your, your access and the candor with which uh, the president has uh, uh, treated your interview and the ability for Americans to get deeper insight into what transpired on 9-11, make this uh, a truly unique and and special polyoptic moment uh, for us as a show. Uh, I I really wanna thank you for being with us and I can't wait to see some of the work that you're you're working on that's coming out soon enough, taking us once again inside uh, and and deep inside some of the things that that we hear about every day on the news like the drone wars and uh, elements of what's going on inside our national intelligence gathering. Peter Schnall, thank you for being on Polyoptics.
3: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: History in the making. This is POTUS, Sirius XM 124.
1: Our next guest, Josh, is a friend of both of ours, somebody uh, who people in Washington know very well, a man who's uh, made the rounds as a professional journalist, uh, a professional communicator working in uh, certain quadrants of the government, in private practice, and is now uh, at the reins of communication for C-SPAN. Thomas Paine? No, his name is Howard Mortman, and some people would say he's rather extreme. Why would they say that, Joshua?
2: Well, Howard Mortman is the Tom Paine of modern political thought and discourse. Uh, when I was just leaving the White House in nineteen, uh, late 1997, early 1998, uh, one of the first things I tried to do was start a website, uh, start a, a a web business, almost an early social network called speakout.com. And there were just a few players in Washington who figured out, hey, I can actually broadcast my views to a wide variety of beltway insiders. One of them was Howard Mortman with his website, Extreme Morton. Extreme Mortman. Extreme Mortman. And another was Rich Galen. But Extreme Mortman was absolutely the, the touchstone for what what we now know today is as as blogging and social media and and publishing yourself and uh i knowing that howard was going to come on i went to visit extreme mortman to see hey what is he talking about these days yeah and, boy that website doesn't look anything like what it used to look like turns out it's sort of like a crack den of of uh of spam and
0: howard what have you done there <laughs> well the, the times have changed and the economy's hurting and i <laughs> gotta earn the money somehow and uh just charge you know it's funny you mentioned uh, Thomas Paine. I back then. I think I was kind of a different kind of pain on the neck uh, in those days. And uh, see, Josh has the old kind of humor you're bringing back in nostalgic here. Um, uh, Extreme Mortman was a website, and I did as an outgrowth of my work at the Hotline. And the Hotline, probably known to many POTUS listeners, as kind of an inside the Beltway, inside politics. But let's talk tip about sheet. you know,
1: isn't that's what it is. Yeah today, but it was when you were there as one of the original editors at Hotline, this was not something that was owned by the National Journal. It was an independent, uh, for lack of a better word, newsletter that was transmitted on a pay-for basis within Washington. And it was quite literally something that if you were in the political world and you were doing political communications, you could not do without. It came out and people lived for it to come across the facts. And you were leading that effort along with other people uh, back at a time that no one was really doing anything like that.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. Back then, when I say back then, late 80s, early 90s, I was there in the mid 90s. Um, it's a kind of, It was a kind of venture, and I credit Doug Bailey, who founded it, for coming up with the idea. It's the kind of thing where if you're the first one in, um, you dominate the market. And at the time, it took advantage of technologies. And that back then, the cutting edge technology was, this is even before the internet, it was uh, call up bulletin boards. And so, and just to define what the hotline is, the hotline uh, at least back then, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty-page tip sheet of covering the coverage. What are reporters saying about politics today? This came as a result of the eighty-seven, eighty-eight campaign cycle. Joe Biden running for president. Michael Dukakis, uh, Bush on the Republican side. Um, and so, people wanted to know. Basically, it was what was David Yepsen and I what the Moy register saying that day about the presidential campaign. That's right.
2: I mean, let's let's remember the hotline kept fax machines in business for many years. Oh my the, god. Yeah. The, thermal
0: and the, the stuff that crows up on you too, not just a single sheet, but the stuff that, you know, you wear on yourself. That kind of fax. When paper, I was yeah. working
2: in Dukakis campaign headquarters in my first campaign, one of the jobs was Get the hotline when it comes off the fax and make 25 (laughs) copies for the governor and his entourage when they come off the plane. That was how you spread information, the hotline off a fax.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was right off the fax. um, And, uh, you know, it was a premium price thing, which means it was read by professionals, the the Dukakis campaign, others who needed to know and really had no other delivery for what John Desteso was saying at the Manchester <laughs> Union Leader and others, you know, just little blurbs. And it's, I'll tell you, it's funny, of all the things that we did over the years. The one thing that uh, people remember the most uh, was running the top ten list, Letterman's top ten list, every day in the back where right. ran all the jokes, and that became. God, we ripped you
1: off so badly. I mean, everybody started doing these things <laughs> yeah, yeah. later on. I, I remember being at the McLaughlin Group in the late '90s, and we lived for it. I mean, you know, it was like running the proverbial running down the hallway. It's in. <laughs> They've done it. Um, but but that was just the beginning yeah. for Howard Mortman, who's joining us today on Polyoptics here at Sirius. XM POTUS, Channel 124. Howard went on uh, to be a producer uh, of the hardball with chris matthews show uh, at a time when it was still original and and uh... not as regurgitated as it is today uh... and then went on to work at the broadcast board of governors ran the public affairs practice at uh... new media strategies which is one of the most innovative and respected uh... communications firms in the new media space in washington dc but really now you've taken all of that from both sides of the fence as a journalist and as a communicator you brought your talents to become the director of communications for C-SPAN, which, like POTUS, serves the public in a, in a very uh, honest, open, unfiltered, and uncommercialized way.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, uh, two things. One, when I was with Hardball, and I, was, I did Hardball for two years, I was a producer for Chris Matthews, in the same building that C-SPAN is in, 400 North Capitol Street uh, on Capitol Hill, which is also the building that houses Fox News. So it was kind of like a homecoming in a way to uh, be able to be given the opportunity to, to join C-SPAN. And, you know, I still remember those Chris Matthews years. My ears are still ringing uh, from the experience. And <laughs> he's the only guy on TV for whom the mute button doesn't work. You know, that kind of... <laughs> when well, Tammy Haddad was there with yes, you. Oh, my Tammy, goodness. The, the, the great Tammy Haddad, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so C-SPAN for me, and I'm, as you say, the communications director, uh, which means... And uh, I head up the unit that, you know, it works. We work with reporters. Uh, You're a flack, Howard. We, well, sure. I mean, everybody in D.C. <laughs> is in some way. But, um, you know, look, I've. The mission of C SPAN, for me, for me, being able to join C SPAN is kind of like the kid who grows up watching the Yankees and then gets called to play center field. I mean, it just it's kind of. It's you know it's an institution in the cable universe and cable we're funded by cable and we you know we're a public service provided by cable, the cable industry, but within the Washington political world of which I'm a product, like you know the three of us, um, you know it was such a big part of my growing up and loving politics, loving America, was being able just to see these events as they happen without editing, without commentary. And uh, and you learn so much. And I'd actually, going back to when I wrote Extreme Wortman a long yeah. time ago, I used to watch C-SPAN and just write columns based on what I was seeing on C-SPAN. And, uh, and you can't get that anywhere else. I mean, you get that from POTUS. You sound like you?
1: Josh King. You're telling his story.
2: <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, you know, C-SPAN would allow people like myself or Howard to venture to Iowa or venture to New Hampshire and get... And feel what it's like to be very early on in the process when a, a Mitt Romney running for the first time, uh, or a Barack Obama running for the first time is going to these small uh, small towns and the houses of Democratic or Republican activists and meeting forty five people, and a camera is literally three feet away from Obama uh... or romney the whole time with a uh... extended boom microphone right over their heads so you can hear the clinking of the glasses and the passing of the canapés but also how these candidates really interacted as human beings with the voters who are most involved in the process and only c-span could do that right howard
0: josh i i love what the way you define it because when you said acting as human beings and you know we are not the you know we don't have the celebrity hosts you know we are you know, Brian we, Lamb, not a celebrity. Well, you know he's, he's within a realm. You know, it's it's <laughs> you know we you know it's really it's showing this. I don't want to say the human. I mean, I like your definition, human of, of the human side, but it's being able to just present politics as it's happening or Congress as it's happening. And letting the people make their own decisions on who they like, who they don't like, um, and you know, taking action or not taking action, you know, showing outrage or not caring, you know, whatever the range of American human emotions are, uh, it just should be able to show that. And it's just, it's, uh, you know, we are we are fortunate in that we, um, you know, for listeners who may not know, C-SPAN, there's not a dime of government money that goes into it. It's all funded by the cable industry as a public service, and that means that we don't have ratings. Um, and we don't have ratings because we don't have advertising. Uh, so by not having advertising, we can just show events in their entirety and not break away. And that's what really is the secret sauce behind it: just not not turning off an event before it's over and just showing the event in its entirety.
2: And do you think, uh, do you think, Howard, that that the packaging of news uh, is hurting the discourse, and, and that uh, you know, it's it, it's all about. Uh, one, the talent of the correspondent, two, the dexterity of the editor, three, the decisions of the executive producer, and four, the very limited time that uh, networks and cable channels now have to devote to news and public affairs. And so we're only getting what what basically the Beltway decides is the narrative rather than the beginning, middle, and end of an actual political event.
0: You know, I, I think there's a lot to that, and I don't want to, you know, get into a... Critique of other networks because you know they, they are earning money. You know they they are for-profit ventures and they've got to get advertisers. So it's it's kind of a you know for they don't ha- you know it's just a different mo- a funding model. And I you know I respect the people who are, who are earning a profit off of off coverage of politics. Um, they've I, I would imagine there are many people who work in political TV and correspondence in the White House and so on who would love to have more time. To describe what's happening in events, um, or give more time for politicians to have a chance to uh, explain their position to uh, to, um, to the American people, and we, we have that uh, you know we we have that luxury. Um, you know it's you know we're not for everybody, and you know I try to watch as much C-SPAN as I can, all the programs, um, and uh, you know the, some events I might tune out as well. It's really it's what you're interested in. Uh, You know, when we, one of our, I mean, our bread and butter is covering Congress. It's uh, live coverage of the House uh, and the Senate and um, showing hearings from Congress. And there are people, myself included, are just curious, how is the government spending your money? And I love watching hearings because I'm just fascinated by what the the Congress is doing.
1: The the audience that that we're talking to here uh, at POTUS, Sirius XM 124, is familiar, obviously, not only with C-SPAN, but C-SPAN is a presence. On SiriusXM because you can find C-SPAN at SiriusXM 119 um, and the ability to bring that to the national audience through other mediums has been growing over the years and your uh, entrance on the scene at C-SPAN has also coincided with a serious push to bring the relevancy of the network forward in a digital domain you guys have done some amazing work cataloging the enormous archive Mm. the Seminal archive of of communication from the hill of everything that's transpired on the floor the well of the house the Senate all of those hearings if you want to go back and be the arbiter of what was really said there's only one place to go Howard
0: yeah and, and thank you Adam and by the way thank you for mentioning that uh, uh, channel 119 on, uh, on XM is where you can hear C-SPAN effect we, we stream there I scroll past it on my way to POTUS all the time <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. and uh, so you referenced um, the C-SPAN video library and if I I appreciate that if I could just take ten seconds to describe it we have put online our entire networks history um, it's unprecedented uh, in, in, in broadcast TV Um, to take 25 years of C-SPAN, digitize it, put it online and for free and without registration and without advertising, without people dancing about mortgages, you know, in front of you and ads and all that, you go online and you find whatever program we showed, coverage of the House, the Senate, presidential campaigns, uh, the president speaking in the White House, any event that we've aired, and you can search that. And many times clip it and share it and tweet it out and put it on Facebook. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful. I mean, we, we just won a Peabody Award just for being a resource. Uh, I will say it's one of these uh, great virtues of being funded privately that we have you know, by the cable industry that gives us the chance to really expand and, and you know, and, and be able to offer that. It's it's a purely a public service, but it's a great uh, the archive is a great way just you know, to research America. Josh history. King
1: has already confessed to being a nerd who uh, lives for C-SPAN, and I don't want to pretend to be too cool for school because on most nights you can find me watching c-span alone in
0: the kitchen i urge um, listeners to go to c-span library let's search for josh king and find the josh <laughs> king bio page on the c-span video library <laughs> will, without uh, knowing the answer i would guarantee there are several entries in there
2: just to shed some light on that um, you know i'm i'm not only a huge fan of politics and on the on political discourse i'm also uh, i think with the architecture of the capital city of Washington is so fascinating, and mostly that Capitol building. And and Howard, you you're bringing the mag, the majesty of the Capitol in greater detail than ever before. Now that c spans on HD, right?
0: Great. Yes, we are in HD. Um, we have coverage of the House and coverage of the Senate in HD, plus uh, our own cameras in HD. HD for us, you know, and and. You know, we've seen the jokes. Who would want to see Congress in HD? <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I've seen the aides fall asleep. You know, on the floor next to the senators. And you can never see that before HD. But there, there's a, there's a real serious purpose behind doing it, and it's actually to put a to turn pull back the curtain a little bit on the inside. It's
2: we always pull back the curtain. Well, let's pull back doctors. the curtain. Well, real-
0: let's pull it way back. Well, let me quiz you, out. Adam or Josh. Why would we want to be in HD um, when when we're showing something that really doesn't necessarily have to be but why would we want to have HD an entry in the HD world well I think that the answer is uh,
1: the technology requires it that we want to have the the most optimal quality we're building an archive for the ages and just like uh, the time that uh, Josh was in the White House and my period of time in the White House we we strove to make sure that the president's speeches were recorded on the on the best archival quality that was available in its age
2: I just think that it's because Jerry Bruckheimer wants to use your footage in some of his shows.
0: <laughs> Both the answers are valid and correct. Uh, the uh, <laughs> This car crash is that... Uh, so the business reason is because if you buy an HDTV... You get home, and you're only going to want to watch HD. That is very tier, true. And you're not going to want to watch the SD. So we need, like every other cable or broadcast entity, need to have an HD entry, just to get those people who are never going to go anywhere but that higher tier. So th- there's a business reason for doing it. But you're absolutely right. The quality, you know, we um uh when you watch the 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 Congress, when you watch the floor of the House and the Senate, um, your realists may not know this, um, but those are not our cameras um, those are they belong to the House uh, of Representatives right, there's a
1: middleman here
0: right so we you know we, we've we asked uh, constantly for permission to bring our own cameras in. That's right.
1: When the speaker took over, mm-hmm. uh, Speaker Boehner took over, you guys made another very uh, yep. robust play to yep.
0: cut we, out the middleman. We do this every time, a new speaker, and we've been denied by both parties, um, and we've asked just, can we put our own robotic cameras in there, non-obtrusive, and we would share the footage with the networks. It would, uh, We would foot the bill for it. We would share it with with the world. Um, we've been told no. Um, and, Why? Uh, well, uh <laughs> no
1: one wants to give up control. <laughs> you know the idea that these cameras can be panned, and that you can see somebody giving a speech in the well of the house to a completely empty house, or see that conversation going on in the corner that's so much more meaningful than the person who's, uh, you know, at the at the at the well making a speech is is where the
0: visual interest would be. I suspect. I will. I will leave that. That's an interesting characterization. I will leave the characterization up to you, uh, Adam, because I don't want to get uh, put. Their are words of mouth, but I will say, and Josh made the point, uh, the majesty of Capitol Hill, a little bit earlier Josh said that, there are one or two or three times we're allowed to bring our own cameras uh, into the floor, uh, and into the house, and that's for big events such as the first day of Congress. If uh, every Congress we can bring and the networks can bring in their own cameras too. And so we brought our cameras in on the first day of the 112th Congress, and we had beautiful sweeping pictures of the ceiling of the house, and we have a beautiful picture of something people never see at home, and that's the um, the board, electronic board showing vote tallies uh, mm. on the floor. You never see that. We showed that the first day because of their own cameras, and it looks great in HD. It looks beautiful, and when you use, as Josh said, ma- the Majesty, you know, there's a lot of st- institutions of in Washington you can't see with those static shots. And I think they deserve to be seen by people who are merely just those sitting in the gallery, but they're around the country. You,
2: Howard, you, you're obviously under somewhat of the constraints that you're just talking about, about what the Congress allows uh, allows you to take from the Capitol. Uh, you also uh, have uh, your chiefs uh, or your funders as the cable industry. Um, what is the create talk about the creativity that exists within C-SPAN and thoughts for the future and thing and ideas that you're allowed to run with to say how can we improve this public service even more?
0: Yeah, that's great because this is an environment. Even since I began two and a half years ago, you know, we we all talk about the rapid change. Um, the delivery systems of video uh, is is so quickly changing. Um, we have we. I don't want to say constraints, but you know we are because our money comes from because we're created and funded by the cable industry. You know, ultimately, it's we we can't give away our content to non tv platforms. So you know we it, we're kind of in in a position where we want as many users and viewers to come to C-SPAN to watch us. For all the great public service reasons, but we have to be very mindful um, that we don't exist just to, you know uh, um just to put video out on the internet and let anybody take it. You know there has to be some kind of emotional bond, you know some connection. so we are you know experimenting with different venues such as our Facebook page. We have done live streaming on our on c-span Facebook page of big uh, events on the floor, such as, the votes on the deficit, such as the day they read the Constitution, such as the tribute to Gabriel Giffords um, a couple months ago. So when it's a big event, we will show some live streaming of that footage on our Facebook page. We've also developed, um, you know, like everyone else, the apps, you know, the, the C-SPAN radio uh, apps and so on. So we are, you know, trying to find different platforms, and that's in addition to embracing social you know, media.
1: When Josh talks about creativity, I think about Mark Farkas um at C-SPAN, uh, executive producer One of many over there who's uh, been a pioneer in building trusting relationships with the institutions of government and bringing us inside the White House and documentaries about Capitol Hill, um, some of which I had an opportunity to participate in when I was serving in the White House. But there's the sort of block and tackle, bread and butter elements of C SPAN that I love every day. Josh, uh, Washington Journal uh, is one of them. I spent years as a producer of Good Morning America, the antithesis of Washington. Washington Journal, a talk show that originates from C-SPAN's offices with the Capitol used as a backdrop and, you know, God forbid that you start to get into Washington Journal for the very first time in high definition and realize it's <laughs> not all about beautiful people. It's about real people and really uh, significant and, and strategically placed bookings of people who are elected officials, uh, thought leaders within associations, business leaders, scholars, journalists talking about news of day and really advancing the day's story uh, that continues to be one of the things that people know about C-SPAN the most.
0: We are at Washington Journal and, and our taking of calls. So, you know, we take viewer calls. Um, yeah, and
2: I want to know how uh, how you make sure that real Democrats are coming on the Democrat line, real Republicans are coming on the Republican line.
0: And I want to know why Josh <laughs> King and Adam <laughs> Belmore haven't been booked on this show yet. Huh. I might Now, I'm not on the programming side, but I'm happy to <laughs> send them a note when I get back. Um, no, you know, the, the taking of calls um, is is one of our landmark uh I I use the word achievements, but others know us for the taking of the calls. We've been doing it since day, you know, almost since day one in various formats on C SPAN. Um we'll never give it up. We always want to have the politicians, um, the journalists talking to an everyday person. And the reason why is to hear their voices. You know, it's really interesting you get some of these politicians out of their two to five minute comfort zone and you start answering questions from a real person, and things change, and news is made. But also, it's more than just the moment in the moment news, it's kind of understanding more what a politician says and what a policy is, and having that policy interaction with a, with a with a caller. And I. I love it. I mean, I, I, you know, they take tweets now. It's just, it's a great way to get. You know get what them. I, what
1: I think about a lot, Josh, is uh, there are two elements of those call-ins uh, that that always strike me. One is that you will most often hear people start a call-in by saying thank you for C-SPAN because for them, it's it's a treasure. Price and, of admission. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, I say that because it, it, you know, it's not just people sucking up to c-span but they they mean it you can tell uh that they're they're happy to be able to share their thoughts and the other thing is from a polyoptics perspective josh is that the politicians uh the good ones are always taking notes during this section and putting down the name of the caller like you know john and let me you know let me address your concern or let me talk about your question and there's a connection there and uh you know it's it's almost like retail politicking josh
2: yeah, I mean, this is the, as as Howard said, this is the chance for to watch real uh, dialogue happen between uh, Washington <clears throat> newsmakers and people anywhere in the country, and I think it's it's. Pro- I don't know if you log Howard about the area codes of places where people call in, but I think you probably get a greater representation of middle America than you than you would in, in other formats.
0: Josh, you are so smart, and I'll tell you, one of the projects I never got off the ground, I wanted to using an intern, was go through a year's worth of calls and see which city uh, has the greatest number of calls to, to C-SPAN. Um, it's a lot of work, uh, and our I don't think our logs are up to that, but but you, sir, Mr. Speak Out, you have your pulse on. i got a future job. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Howard Mortman, uh, a Washington
1: hero of ours and someone that uh, we're glad to introduce to the polyoptics audience I want to thank you for taking your time to join us on the show today
0: thank you gentlemen thank you very much and thank you for c-span <laughs> thank you for our next call <laughs>
1: One of the things I love about polyoptics, Josh, is the opportunity to bring our audience at POTUS inside Washington and talk to and learn about the players who have such a profound impact. We did that today with Peter Schnall and with Howard Mortman. Uh, I have no idea what you've got on, on, on the plate for us next week, but I know it's going to be a great show.
2: We'll work on next week, but for now we're headed back home with clicker in hand to watch documentaries of Peter Schnall, to watch unvarnished events on C-SPAN, and watch the political process unfold. It is late summer. Candidates are hitting the campaign trail. Uh, we keep our eyes tuned to the economic crisis and hope maybe that people get to take a little break uh, and re- recharge their batteries because September is going to be as active as the whole uh, as the whole 2011 has been so far.
1: Josh, we'll see you next week here on Sirius XM 124.
2: Thanks, Adam.
0: Politics of the United States for the people of the United States.
3: Sirius XM 124.